the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you work on deceiving others long enough, you'll end up deceiving yourself. You'll start believing your own lies. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there for over 26 years, and now his down-to-earth messages come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are in the midst of a series of studies from the first three chapters of the Book of Romans, and we are just beginning to consider the second chapter. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there, because that will be our starting place today. Now, here is Pastor Steve. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning, and so we read, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. To most Americans, the word justice means very little. We look around us and we see little that really resembles justice, true justice. We see people getting away with all kinds of things, from people who run through red lights to, to bullies and in junior high school and high school, pick on kids smaller than them, drug dealers, cheating in school, tax evasions, you name it. It's a society in which there's so much injustice and people do get away with things and they don't get caught in this life. Even our court system falls short of true justice. Randall Heckman is judge of probate for Kent County in Michigan in the latest edition of Moody Monthly, the May 1985 edition of the magazine. He wrote an article about the problems of justice in our nation, and the article is called, You Call This Justice. Here's what he has to say. America's criminal justice system is experiencing an identity crisis. Traditionally, officers of the law knew that they were expected to punish criminals. No one apologized for this, but at the turn of the century, judicial leaders began to suggest that punishment for punishment's sake was an unscientific an indefensible idea. Instead, they argued society should, at should attack the sources of crime, which they reasoned to be a combination of environment and heredity. 
if if society could reeducate or rehabilitate offenders they said it could eventually eliminate crime consequently vast amounts of public funds have been spent on correctional institutions and programs designed to cure society of crime now, judge heckman goes on to state in the article that the purpose of justice is not to rehabilitate he said that's never been the purpose of a true justice as you look over the old testament he said that the uh, the purpose of justice is to punish the offender in proportion to the wrong he's inflicted on the victim and society in general but because of the system of justice in our in our country because that system has lost sight of this goal it tends to make a mockery of true justice is what he's saying and so the judge goes on to write and i quote when courts focus on rehabilitation resulting sentences are too light or too heavy he says i've seen child abusers placed on probation while repeat shoplifters have been locked up for years all in the name of helping or rehabilitating what has all this got to do with Romans chapter 2? Well, the message of Romans chapter 2, as we started to see last week, and we really studied verses 1 through 3 last week, but we're going to touch on it again this week. The message of Romans chapter 2, at least verses 1 through 16, is this. God will judge all men. This is the passage that deals with the principles of divine judgment. God will judge all men, regardless of their backgrounds. He's impartial, he's non-prejudiced, he's non-biased. God will judge Gentile and he will judge the Jew. His justice will be based on truth, just the facts, and it is inescapable. That's the heart of verses 1 through 3. Now, we spent a whole message studying this last week, but while we hear these words and we, we stress them and stress them and pound it forth, these truths, I think we tend to take them too lightly. I think there is a tendency for us to take these words too lightly. Why? Because we haven't seen much justice carried out in our society, and so we tend to equate God's justice with man's lack of justice, and we become very cynical, and we become very doubtful of the justice of God. And we forget that God is a perfect judge, he won't let us get away with anything because why? He sees all. In fact, the Old Testament says, shall not the judge of the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question. Of course he will. He's the perfect, righteous, absolute judge. And you cannot equate our lack of justice with his true justice. Because we see people getting away with crimes all the time, and I mean all the time, especially when you drive, you do any driving, especially on the highway, we're sort of lulled into a false sense of security with God, thinking that he won't punish us. We can get away with things, so why can't we get away with things with God? Now, the Jewish people of Paul's day also had a false sense of security when it came to judgment, God's judgment. They were sure that God was going to judge everybody except them. Sure, he was going to judge the, the Gentile, the heathen, the, as they referred to them as the dogs who commit abominable acts, but not, not us. They felt they were exempt from judgment because of their identification with Abraham. They even said to Jesus in John 8, they said, we are Abraham's children. 
And in essence, Jesus said, big deal. They identified with Abraham, so they thought that because God had called Abraham and made out of him a great nation, they were the chosen people, and so they just reasoned illogically that they were exempt from judgment. They're going to ride on the coattails of Abraham. And also because of their external observance of the law of Moses, they felt they were impeccable when it came to observing the law. Little did they realize the true intent of the law was not the external observance, but the internal attitude. And that's what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, and that's what we went over last, last week. You say you don't murder? Jesus said, but do you get angry? As far as God is concerned, it's the same thing. You say you don't, you don't commit adultery, but Jesus said, but do you lust? As far as God is concerned, it's the same thing. So in order to convince these Jewish people who were at Rome, who would be reading Paul's letter, who maybe were associated with the church but were not true, genuine believers, Paul anticipates the problems they would have with the judgment of God. And so he turns the spotlight on the Jewish person, and he tells him that God is also going to judge him. And really his point, his ultimate point, is to prove to the Jew once and for all that he is a sinner just like the Gentile. And then he will bring it all to a climax in Romans 3.23 when he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, meaning Gentile, Jew, heathen, moralist, everyone under God's creation. He's also going to judge the Jew. And having covered the sinfulness of the heathen Gentile world in chapter 1, Paul now exposes the Jewish world for what it really is, not righteous, but self-righteous and hypocritical. Believing that they have a righteousness, but really being hypocrites. Playing a game, uh, putting on a show, putting on an act, external observance, but all the while having internal sin. Now, Paul presents the principles of God's judgment in two aspects. If you want to lay hold of this by an outline, verses 1 through 16, I would suggest that you look at verses 1 through 5 as the guarantee of judgments. The guarantee of judgments. And then from verses 6 through 16, you can see the grounds for this judgment. On what grounds, on what basis will God judge man? Let's look this week at the guarantee of judgment. And this is really part two of what we began last week. You say, but Steve, why, why repeat all this? There are some messages I must, I must repeat, I must reiterate, because I don't think that it's been grasped. I don't think that, that there's been a, a hands-on these truths. These truths are so pertinent to the 20th century churchgoer that they must be preached again and again and again. Verse 1, therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. He says, judgment is guaranteed. Why? Because it's obvious that the Jew knows right from wrong. He's without excuse, just like the heathen. Now, in chapter 1, Paul says the heathen are without excuse. In chapter 2, he says the Jew is without excuse. Why is the heathen without excuse? Because he knew the truth and he suppressed the truth. He did not obey the truth. He did not respond to the truth. He turned away from the truth. Why is the Jew without excuse? Because he knows the truth too and he doesn't practice it. You say, well, how do you know he, 
He knows the truth. It's obvious that the Jew knows right from wrong because he passes judgment on his Gentile neighbors. He couldn't make a judgment if he didn't have a criteria for judgment, do you see? It's a brilliant argument. The fact that he condemns the heathen for not obeying the truth is the proof that the Jew knows the truth. How could he say to his Gentile neighbor, you don't practice the truth, if he didn't know what the truth was to begin with? Paul says, you know the truth. And look over at chapter 3, verse, verses uh, 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Paul is, uh, when he finishes chapter 2, he's totally taken the rug and slipped it out from under the Jew, and he says, you're sinners like everyone else. And chapter 3 says, then what advantage is the Jew? Is there any advantage? Paul says, yeah, yeah. Great in every respect, verse 2. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. You want to know what's special about the Jew? It's not that he's, he's exempt from sin, or judgment, rather. What's special about the Jew is that he's received the word of God. Paul says, you know the truth, not only from conscience sake, but you have something the, the Gentiles never had. That is the written word of God. Yet according to the end of verse 1, chapter 2, for you who, who judge practice the same things. He has the truth, but he doesn't practice the truth. He does the same things as the people he condemns the people he looks down upon with lofty disdain and says, terrible how they could do such things. And Paul says, you hypocrite, you do the same things. Now, I'm convinced that if Paul were writing this letter in the 20th century, he wouldn't address it to the, the Jew, although he could include the religious Jew. But primarily, I'm convinced he'd address chapter 2 to the devout churchgoer the person who, uh, who believes in the Judeo-Christian ethic and yet has never trusted Christ, the person who is abhorred by the moral corruption of society but who doesn't realize that he does the same sins, only it's not as obvious. That's the real point. It's not as obvious because the moralist sins are sins of the mind. They're sins of the attitude. They're sins of the heart. They're sins that nobody can see but God. And even the person may not realize it totally because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, but God looks in and God sees those sins. They're not outward, they're inward. Look at Romans chapter 3. Actually, Romans chapter 2. Don't You can turn back. Verse 21. I'm going to give you an illustration of, of language that Paul would, would use if he were writing today. You, therefore, who teach another... Do you not teach yourself? You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Now look at the end of verse 21. In essence, he's saying, you would say, you never steal. Do you steal? You would say, you never steal. Do you steal time from your employer or your family? or God in, in not serving him, or not giving to his work? You who say, I wouldn't steal, Paul says, you steal. You steal valuable time from others. You steal valuable time from God. You steal valuable time from your family. You steal valuable time from your employer. You do steal. He goes on, verse 20, 22. You who say, I would never commit adultery. I wouldn't even consider it. 
Do you entertain sexual fantasies in your mind? That's what Paul is saying. I wouldn't buy a lewd magazine, but do you think those thoughts in your mind? The end of verse 22, you who say, I would never worship an idol. Does your job come before the Lord? Does money come before the Lord? Does anything come before the Lord? You see, that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul's really getting at, the self-righteous moralist who hides behind the facade of being good, respectable. Yet he does the same things that those in the lowest ladder of society do. The only difference is that the moralist deceives himself by playing his hypocritical game. And you know, the tragedy of this game is that when you've played this game long enough, you'll convince even yourself that you're not so bad after all. If you work on deceiving others long enough, you'll end up deceiving yourself. You'll start believing your own lies. I know that from experience. You'll end up being blind to your own sin. You'll become so critical of other people and so judgmental, but you'll forget your own sin. For example, how many times have you lectured your children on the importance of not procrastinating? Is your homework done? I want that homework done now. Stop watching television. Get to work. I wonder how many of us barely got our income tax reports in on time. But always struck, we, we really preach against the sin of procrastination. Or you say to someone, look, don't worry. You're worrying, you're fretting, just relax. Trust the Lord. All the while you're worrying about something. See, that, that, that sounds good. It's good language. It's good preaching to say that. You know, don't worry, it sounds good. But God says to us, look, you who, who preach these things to others, do you do, not do the same things? And the, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course you do the same things. You see, we're experts on finding faults with others, the, the faults of others, but we're blind to our own sins. But God isn't blind. Look at verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. He will judge according to truth, not pretense, not appearance, but just the facts. That's all. You may fool others, but you can't fool God. Judgment is guaranteed. Guaranteed. You may get away with, with human judgment, but you'll never get away with divine judgment. God sees all. See, there are four ways, basically, you can escape human judgment. Number one, your offense won't be discovered, right? I mean, if nobody sees it, how can they punish you for it, but look, God sees all. David said, where can I go to get away from him? The answer is nowhere. There's another way you'll, you can escape beyond the jurisdiction of the court, run off to Mexico or Canada, but look, he's Lord of the universe. Where are you going to go? He's Lord in Canada too. Can't get away from God. It's another way after arrest, there may be some legal technicality with, which will cause a breakdown of the legal procedure, but that won't hold true with God. God is the legal procedure. He makes the laws. He makes the rules. There's no technicality of getting out with God. God's not going to say, oh, I forgot that. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. That's the fourth way. After conviction, you can escape from prison and stay undercover. You can't escape from God. The writer to the Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The answer is, there's no way. 
But you know, in spite of what the Bible has to say about the guaranteed judgment of God, people still don't believe it will happen. Verse 3 says, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? You know what people think? Yeah, I really think so. And you know why? And this is what we want to focus on in the time remaining. Verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God has been so good, so very good to mankind. He has bestowed such loving favors upon men that you know what men conclude? They conclude that God's never going to judge them. He never has and he never will. Because God doesn't exact immediate judgment upon man. Men imagine he never will. Life goes on as usual without God's judgments and mankind concludes that God's never going to judge them. Verse 4 has been ringing in my heart all week long. It is one of the deepest, most profound verses in all the Bible. It speaks of the goodness of God towards mankind. Theologians call this, this general goodness towards all people, whether you're saved or lost, as common grace. What is common grace? Let me give you some illustrations. God doesn't owe his creatures anything. Do we understand that? God doesn't owe us anything. When Adam and Eve sinned, God had every right to execute judgment right then and there and to send them to hell, but he didn't. That's common grace. And common grace is what every person experiences today. The fact that you and I are not in hell this very moment, paying for our sins is a demonstration of God's common grace. Did you have a nice breakfast this morning? I did. That's common grace. We don't deserve that. Do you have a nice home to go to or even a home to go to? That's common grace. Do you have a family who greets you at home or who calls you up on the telephone or someone who will get in touch with you next week? That's common grace. Are you in reasonably good health? That's common grace. Are you alive today? Shake your head if you're... No, I, you don't have to do That is common grace. All of that is under the heading of common grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, he says that the, that the rains come upon the just and the unjust. It's common grace. God is so good to man, he gives you the breath to live each day, friends to make, clothes to wear, a job to have, a church to fellowship with. That is common grace. He gives us continual opportunities to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, and that is the heart of verse 4. That is really the thought behind verse 4. When you think about it, God's common grace is just amazing. It's the opposite of what we deserve. Yet, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, upholds all things by the word of His power. He is continuously active in maintaining this universe in which we live. He doesn't have to do that, but by grace, He does. It's often said that God could easily destroy everything, and that's true. But the truth is that without His influence, it would come apart on its own. The grace that lets us live is just as amazing as the grace that saves our souls. This is Peter Silseth, and I'm glad that you could be a part of our class today. 
This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen to today's broadcast again, it's on our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous classes in case you need to fill in some gaps. They are on the archives page. Once more, that's versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message from which we took today's lesson, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. As we read through Paul's litany of offenses that we have committed against God, does it ever make you wonder why he doesn't just destroy everything and everyone? When people ask me how I'm doing, it reminds me that by God's grace, I'm doing better than I deserve. And that is often my reply. God came close in Noah's time to wiping the slate clean, but he spared Noah and his family, who it seems were the only people in the world who loved God. Over the years, he has destroyed a lot of people, but there are also those whom he has spared. Why does he spare some and not others? We will consider that and more on the next Verse by Verse. Long before the pain, God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, this is, where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.